What's going on, guys? My name is Justin Coles. I'm here with my co-host, Dan Poku. Welcome to Small World Business Podcast. It's a small world, and business connects us all. So buckle up, and let's grow together. As you guys can see, over here we have one of our dear friends, Charles Ruff. Charles, go ahead and give us a little bit of background, kind of about yourself, what you do, what you've done, um, where you come from, run us through short glimpse of who you are. Cool, yeah, I'll try to give you guys the, the cliff notes. Yeah, <laughs> Cool, um, uh, UCF grad, psychology, don't recommend going to school for that unless you could plan on doing something about it. Um, Got his job in sales, fresh out of college. Um, did Stop that for selling what? A range of things in the luxury space. So some brands you've probably heard of: Michael Kors, uh, David Yurman, and um, then sort of got kind of got wind of sort of a zeitgeist with food and some connectivity with the environment and animal rights and a whole bunch of things that I kind of cared about and um, kind of went out and started my own restaurant concept and walked away from sales. And uh, so been doing that for about five years. And uh, now I'm actually back in sales, full-time real estate agent, and I still own my, my restaurant concept as well. That's one of the biggest reasons that we brought you on is the whole point of the podcast and why Dan and I sit down mm -hmm. is we want to talk about working at nine to five while owning small businesses, whether you're purchasing or investing or starting, whatever the case is. And it's interesting to me how you have not walked away from your business, but you've taken a step back, started a new venture, and you're still trying to maneuver this one. Can you give us some insight as to what that's been like? Yeah, so it was always the plan from the very beginning, like when we set out to open the restaurant. You know, I, I never envisioned myself like, you know, uh, being behind a grill or, you know, being a server or something like that, like long term. Um, for me, my venture into food was about entrepreneurship and it was about sort of the externalities with that industry. And, and it was an opportunity what I, what I had hoped to be profitable as well. Um, but I remember one of the first business books I read was like, just if I took anything else away from it, it was when you're building a business, get yourself out of the day-to-day -day as soon as you can so that you could work on the business as opposed to in the, bus in the business, which right or wrong, that spoke to me, right? Uh, something about my personality didn't really want to be tied to anything anyways. Um, so being able to be in the critical thinking stage and looking at something from the outside in and, and working on it like an art project, um, really appealed to me. Okay. And for the record, for those of you listening or watching the, the business, the restaurant is called Pharmacy Vegan Kitchen right. and Bakery. I was going to say Yeah. I don't think he ever said that. <laughs> no, no, so we're trying to be modest, but I guess that backfired yeah, here for the no, program, yeah. didn't it? Let's definitely get back to that. So what was the concept or idea of the restaurant? Like, why did you start it? I know you said it was... Uh, with like the moral, morals and values, but yeah. yeah so um, the food industry in general, right? Um, I think how people interact with their plates okay. were sort of uh, removed from the process, right? We're just like, I don't know, food is here, it's cooked, this is how it looks, it tastes good, doesn't taste good, whatever. And that's sort of the end of the equation. But the reality is, right, there's like factors outside of that, right? The food has to come from somewhere and most times it's a living thing. And like, what is the process of getting that many living things to scale, to feed all of us? And so, you know, as I was coming across information about that throughout my college years and my early professional years, it was just seems startling to me that like, I had never really done the math on how it got there. And so a um, couple elements here that really stuck out. One, animal husbandry, it's not particularly sustainable. Uh, raising animals for protein, right? Like, it's just inefficient, right? Like the amount of grams of protein that we're able to yield from most animals and the amount of like resources that go into making that, it's just a bad math equation. And I don't, I don't want to get on your show and preach, but it's just most experts agree that that's the case. Um, if you've got like a, a piece of land and you decide you want to raise cattle, right? Let's say you've got an acre and a half, 
you can do maybe 375 pounds of beef per year, right? That's your yield. If you could use a plant protein, let's say soy, you could do, don't quote me on this, 37,000 pounds of protein yield. So like asymmetrical sort of yield on, on the use case for that land. And land is a limited resource. Also big water sink that goes into uh, raising animal proteins. And it's nasty business, Like, right? Most of us have never been inside of a slaughterhouse. Most of us, if we had to do it ourselves, we'd be like, well, I don't know about all this. Some of us would, some of us don't care. I get it, right? Like, if you can do it, you know, uh, native peoples have always done it. It's part of human life to eat animals to a degree, right? Throughout history, most of us are just devoid of the process. We don't, we don't know what's going on. So, anyways, knowing all of that, and then some of the health benefits about eating less meat, which I think are popular in today's sort of, um, you know, in social media and TV, you hear about it, you read about it. Most nutritionists agree, like, right less meat is probably a good idea. I think there's some debate about, you know, going zero meat versus, you know, uh, a mixture, but everyone agrees a little bit less meat in the diet is a good look. Yeah. Um, So to me, you you take that animal welfare piece, you took the sustainability piece, and you took the personal health piece. And I was like, what else, what other endeavors have that much positivity involved in them besides plant-based eating? So that was enough to get like my emotions involved where I was like, all right, I'll walk away from my comfortable salary and, you know, take a shot at something that I, I kind of, I, you know, I believed in and I still believe in. Um, and that's kind of how I arrived at the restaurant concept that we have. Okay, awesome. And I know one thing about Dan and I, and one reason that him and I really clearly have talked about it on a couple of different episodes is that we are very mission driven. Mm. Everything that we do is to accomplish a mission behind what we want. And at the end of the day, one of Dan's biggest things is helping single parents, in particular single mothers. One of my biggest things being from the suburbs of Chicago is trying to help clean up the streets, make the, the area safer, all that sort of stuff. It sounds like your mission is really geared towards, sorry, I drop everything every episode. <laughs> it sounds like your mission's really geared towards almost making it better tomorrow. I mean, it would correct me if I'm wrong on that. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. It was just overwhelming uh, social positivity uh, that seemed to come from, again, that concept of like reducing animal protein consumption, at least in the current form, um, was absolutely the mission. Okay. Was like bringing the lay person into contact with some alternative ways of, of eating. Because, right, if, if we can all eat less animal protein, at least again, the way we're driving it now, down the pipeline, you know, there's going to be some like uh, meats that are grown from stem cells. There's a whole industry that's coming, good or bad, right? (laughs) Um, To try to find ways of generating uh, animal protein or or protein for us to eat in general. Um, But yeah, just bringing people into contact with alternative ways of eating that can make for a better tomorrow, like you said. Awesome. And one of the other reasons, I mean, I mentioned that one of the reasons we brought you on was because you do work a nine to five now on top of the company. One of the things that really stuck out to me about your story and between all of the entrepreneurs, the athletes, everyone I know, you have sacrificed unlike, unlike a lot of people that I know. It's important to make sacrifices when you're starting a business, but can you talk about some of the sacrifices that you had to make when you left your full-time sales job and jumped into pharmacy? Uh, you got your feet wet. I mean, you didn't get your feet wet, you jumped in and made animals. Yeah. Talk about some so I just want to lead with don't do what I did. <laughs> as far as you get started? Yeah, like I definitely think, I mean, if you want, we can. I can go down that road really quickly. I think it could right, be great for, for young entrepreneurs. The more of a plan you can have in terms of like getting your finances together, your, so your credit, believe it or not, guys, you're going to need it to get capital. So walking away from your, your good paying job or whatever income you have before you secure financing, bad idea. It's not like the movies. You don't get to go pitch your, your idea to some guy who goes, that sounds great. And then they give you the There's money. I mean, again, that happens. But like the traditional way of like raising startup capital for very, very small businesses, you know, especially outside of tech, is to finance it through some kind of you know, SBA loan or through some sort of bank small business loan or you know, your family or whoever it may be. But your, your, your credit will help. So preserve that. Think about raising financing before you go and take the plunge and have like a plan. Um, but yeah, go, going back to your original question about uh, sacrifice. Yeah, um, so how to eliminate the costs, right? 
Uh, we don't know how long it's going to be before income is coming in. So reducing overhead uh, like rent, my business partners and I moved into what was practically a double wide trailer. Um, mind you, I was living in a, a you know a downtown high rise condo in Orlando, you know, before this. So it was a little bit of an adjustment. Um, you know, obviously the amount I was going out and, you know, how much meal prep needed to happen. Um, I picked up a job serving tables. A, because it was relevant experience. I wanted to get inside someone's functioning restaurant if I was going to have any chance of running my own. Um, but also I needed some money to come in because <laughs> the bills aren't going to pay themselves even if they are low and, and, and reduced from where they were. Um, and I worked a lot. You know, human capital, people forget about that being an asset, but right, I spent a lot of it. I spent 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Sometimes, you know, the only thing between me and this, my business not opening on a certain day would, would be me, uh, practically speaking. So yeah, that's, a, that's sort of the nutshell of what you have to be prepared to do in the beginning, sometimes with a small business. All right. So going through that process, did you have like any hesitations? Like, well, maybe this is not for me or maybe- Oh, so many times, yeah. Okay. yeah. I think the reason I, I took the plunge and, and I was willing to, to risk it with the concept that we had is because I had enough buy-in emotionally, spiritually, mentally with the cause, right? I wasn't going out here to, to like invent a new cigarette, right? This wasn't something that was gonna be carcinogenic. This was gonna help people. If it went right, the upside is it helps the world. It helps people. It was inherently positive, so I believed in it. And so when times got hard, I could lean on that. And the other piece that helped too was that there was a community that was, you know, burgeoning at the time. People who were a little bit more conscious about what they're eating. Uh, people who were in the animal rights community. That positive feedback we got from some of those early people we encountered was so strong. And I'm sure you guys, every, your listeners probably have encountered vegans and they know how militant they can be, <laughs> yeah. right? So when you're working a niche like that, mm. you can get an overwhelming amount of brand loyalty really, really early on because those people really, really care about the stuff that you're doing. And so me caring and then seeing other people care, that's what kind of keeps you going through like, okay, like I really would like to go on a date and not bring a girl back to a trailer, but <laughs> this mission though. <laughs> right, right. It means that much more to you. Right, it, it, it gets you through those tough times. Yeah. yeah, and for the record, I mean, we talked about Charles's high rise condo that he was in Orlando then to the trailer that he lived in Tampa. He's now back in a high-rise apartment in downtown Tampa, so I'd say that the sacrifice was, would you say it was pretty well worth it at the end of the day? We got there. Yeah. We, 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 did, we made it do what it needed to Bumps do. Bumps and bruises, you could say. Yeah. And it's, it's the question that Dan just asked you is, relates to something that him and I have talked about before and something that I've heard numerous CEOs in different podcasts talk about. Stephen Bartlett's talked about it. The I actually just saw a clip on social media of the CEO of Barstool talking about it. It's imposter syndrome. When you finally hit it big, when you open that second restaurant, when you open that third restaurant, when you got your dream BMW, did you just look in the mirror and say, what the hell am I doing? I don't, how did I get here? Like this, this was just luck, I had no part in this. You did know, you feel that at all? Not in the times that I think most people report feeling it. Um, I think when I started to have doubts is when, you know, we'd run up, run up on like a cash flow problem or, you know, something big where it's like, Ooh, <laughs> like that's where I'm like, am I that guy? Did I just set us all up? Like, cause now I'm in charge of, you know, when the scale, right? You get to this bigger point and you, you know, you had two employees, you had five, you had 10, you have 20. When you have the 20 employees, now it's not just you, right? Now it's like, well, damn, if this doesn't go well, people whose faces I look in every day are going to be like, Hey, what about that check though? You know what I mean? Um, and you don't want to let people down. And it's in those moments where things get tight and you have to tighten your belt or you have to make a layoff. Um, underrated, by the way, CEO skill and um, ability is to be able to make tough decisions that are painful, right? Like your job as the leader of your company is the fiduciary and you need to do what is in the best interest of your company. And if you can't do a layoff when it's necessary, if you can't downsize when it's necessary, you need to look in the mirror because your business won't make it if you can't make those tough decisions. Um, so just sort of a side caveat. But yeah, when you're looking at those tough decisions, I think that's when I would have doubts about, oh my God, I don't know. 
That and, you know, the, the first time you work 75 hours or whatever in a week and you go, I worked a fraction of this for more money before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I want to touch on as far as having to make tough decisions. I remember in grad school, I had a professor, um, it's like towards the end of the class, and he was like, at some point, you got to do what's best for the business or what's best for like your employees. I never really understood what he meant until like I got into finance and you, like you said, you have to make decisions from like a financial, you know, perspective on what's better for the business or what's better for your, for your employees. And sometimes it goes hand in hand, but sometimes it's like, you got to think of like the, the greater good. So there are tough decisions you have to make, whether it be laying off, you know, an individual or like a department sometimes I've seen, but you got to think of like the bigger, you know, picture. In that yeah. Sense. It can be the difference between letting one or two people go or you lose the whole thing. The whole thing, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Tough decisions. One of the things that we've talked about a handful is building a team around you. One of the quotes that I really believe in is that you really want to be the dumbest person in the room, not just in business, but in life. You always want to have people around you that are smarter, they know more about a certain niche topic, whatever, and people that are willing to build you up with that information. I know you went into pharmacy with business partners, and I believe almost all of them are out, if not all of them. Can you talk to me about the team that you built? Um, what went well? What went poorly? I don't need names because I know that your situation with your ex-business partners can get a little sketchy. So I don't need names if this stumbles across someone's desk. But can you talk a little bit about the team that you built and what you thought went well, what you thought went poorly, and touch on that a little bit? For sure. So in a perfect world, you're absolutely right. You want the smartest people around you. You Definitely don't want sycophants. You don't want yes men. You want people who are thoughtful and are going to push back and have an alternative point of view. Um, that's ideal. Um, so I just wanted to flag that on the onset. What's worked for us has been really putting an onus on character when we're making decisions about leadership. So while we have skilled smart people in our organization. The thing that has really propelled us and that I'm most proud of is that we have people of character in our organization. Um, you guys may have seen this breakdown, uh, low trust, high performers versus, uh, you, you know. High trust, low performers. That's why the Marines are so successful in the SEAL teams. You, you got it, man. Um, no matter how good somebody is at something, if they're in that low trust sort of area, they can't do enough good to outweigh the damage that they do, right? So it's just it's just not worth it. There's there's no, you know, uh, Michael Jordan operator or player that can, if they're a low trust performer, can outweigh the damage they're going to do to your organization. Just because again, it's it's a team game, right? You need all these pieces to work together. And if people are leaving your organization because you have a cancer in your locker room, um, the other guy just can't go out there and score enough buckets to make up for that. And so we have, you know, operators, our store managers are just like upstanding, consistent, solid people. And it, it especially in a business like a restaurant, that is just invaluable, especially because you've got people who are in the field. This is labor, right? And so now you're leading other people through labor. And if the guy on top's not stand up and they go and they sit down at the desk or they, you know, they're disappearing when it's time to do the hard work. No one's going to want to make exceptions and go above and beyond. Everyone's going to be like, well, if she's checked out, then I'm checked out or whatever it may be. So that, that like trust piece um, is definitely the most important thing that I would say for us. Can you touch on the business partners that you started pharmacy with a little bit? I know that there was some dicey, some dis mis yeah. I don't say miscommunications, but definitely, definitely. Stuff so I started the business with uh, a person that I went to high school with, was really, really close with. Um, and now, once I say this out loud, everyone's going to go, well, I could have told you, and his ex girlfriend. So everyone had a different skill, right? She was a phenomenal baker, still is actually, uh, you know, keep up with her to a degree, and she's got a, a golden touch. Um, then my friend who was and is a chef and then myself who had no experience, but you know, I've got a decent business mind. Um, and I feel like I've got a good handle on brand identity and consistency and the value of, of building a brand. Um, and in the beginning it was really great. Actually, it was like a trifecta in many ways. Um, but I just think, you know, in our case, and I think in a lot of cases, because I talk to a lot of other business owners, 
who have had similar situations where they started off people they were close with and then there was a certain equation they didn't do in the beginning. And then once things get heavy, you realize, okay, there's this other layer outside of ability or likability of trust and these other pieces that really show once the pressure goes on. Um, and look, it, this thing was a ride, dude. I don't know if any of us were ready for the late nights. And, and just, I, I should flag this, in our particular business, there was one point where we were having to produce all of like the bakery components and all these things we were doing at the time. The only way we could do it is overnight. It was the only kitchen we could get our hands on, the only like commercial kitchen space we could afford was in the middle of the night. So my poor partners, you know, were starting their day at like 8 or 9 p.m. and going through the night until like 8 a.m. What And in the beginning, it feels like a project and it's almost like camping or something where it's like, well, this is fun. It's an adventure. But day in and day out, that was a grind for them. And that was hard. And like, I, you know, that was tough on anyone. So add to that the general stress of a new business and what that takes. Um how we made it together as long as we did is sometimes surprising to me given those circumstances. So um, yeah, it, it got tough. We, we lost the baker first, you know, um, which was the ex-girlfriend. Ex yeah. There's some static between the two of them, which anyone could have predicted. Right. Um, and then down the road, you know, just the, my partner and I not seeing really eye to eye on, on certain things that I thought were really, really important. And just the way things shook out, I ended up being the last one. King of the King of the Castle. Yeah. Um, so as you started to grow with your your restaurant, were there any adjustments you had to make during that time frame? I know you you know started with one restaurant, then another, then another. Were there any adjustments as far as maybe bringing on additional partners, or of course more employees, more connections? I mean, definitely you're making adjustments. I know systems was a big part, you know, of making it all work. So. This will seem rudimentary now, but discovering Google Drive and the ability to like, you know, uh, work together on documents and have shared checklists and have a protocol. Those are the things that keep an organization with this many moving pieces running. Like without those checklists and those agreed upon standards, it just turns into the wild, wild west. And you're going to completely lose track of that brand identity and consistency piece that's so important if you're trying to build a chain. Um and then just bringing on other tools that when you can afford them, scheduling software. Uh, we use an amazing product called Homebase. It's like time and attendance. It's scheduling. It's requests off. That really just puts the managers in a situation where they can say yes or no, and that's and making those kind of decisions as opposed to like doing the math on what's possible or not. It really, really, really helps having those those different tools in place. So just as your budget increases, thinking about what's going to give you the most ROI in terms of efficiency. The thing is, though, you're you're never perfect, right? Because there's a million tools out there, and they all help a little bit, but you can't afford them all. So at least we couldn't. So trying to figure out, okay, which is the best hundred dollars app to buy at that time, um, and kind of getting lucky with some of that stuff and trying different things. Okay, one of the things that we talked about in the last episode was episode three. Uh, the whole emphasis of the episode was. Burnout catharsis, burnout and catharsis, I should say. You kind of touched on burnout a little bit. You talked about, you know, the late nights where your your coworkers or your excuse me, your business partners were starting at eight, nine PM and going until eight AM or whatever the case was. How do you in your current situation where you're running a business, you know, seven days a week, but then you're also working nine to five doing your real estate sales, how do you find catharsis in your everyday life? One of the things we talked about is Dan and I tend to find it through things like working out, or Dan meditates a lot very often. <laughs> I just started yoga, which by the way, I love. I just oh, found yeah, that yeah, out, I did it last week. Yeah, I love yeah. yoga. We're gonna sign okay. up for a membership. Nice. What do you do to find a healthier form of catharsis to get rid of the stress and anxiety of your everyday life in business, work, relationships? So to answer your question as specifically as you're asking it, you know, I, I train that's actually how you and I met, exactly right? I was, was in the gym. That. It was the same way Dan um, and I met as well. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of, of weightlifting, have been for a long time, and that's probably how I haven't killed anyone yet. Um, but a question that I don't think is directly what you're asking, but equally important answer is 
sharing the burden with other people. Um, yeah, without, you know, if you're trying to hold on to everything, there's, you're putting a ceiling on what you can achieve. And again, finding those high trust players who want to give, who want to, they're, they're ambitious. They want to maybe even earn more money, whatever it may be, whatever their motivation is, giving those ambitious people a chance to share some of the load. Um, because if you don't, you, you there's not enough weightlifting you could do. Right. Yeah, or yoga or whatever. Out at the end of it, yeah. You, you, need, you need other people's buy-in. Um, so, and that, again, I can't stress enough how you, you as, the, as the CEO or the leader, having those leadership qualities of doing what you're saying you're going to do and being where you're saying you're going to be and telling the truth. And if you're wrong, dealing with it in a, you know, in a respectful way and like owning up to it. If you can do those things, people will follow, follow you into battle. But the second you start to, you know, cover your ass and try to, you know, blame other people for things and not take responsibility. Like I try to take L's publicly in my company if I made a bad decision, if I was like, hey, let's come out with this product and it sucks. I'm like, guys, that is on me. I am like, dude, I, we screwed this one up. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Let's try something else. The, the Kennedy approach, Bay of Pigs, right? I tried to kill Castro. It didn't fucking work. I'm sorry. Let's move on. And everyone was like, well, that's real. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, because if you don't do those things, right, then you're not going to have the buy-in of everyone else. So that's, that's key. So, go ahead. Sorry. Go I was going to say, so that helps you to connect with your employees in a sense. They see you like putting forth your best effort. So they want to then put forth their. Yeah. Putting, for, putting forth your best effort, mm -hmm. but as well being, um, what's the word? I'm, I'm, it's escaping me. But being vulnerable, Authentic. right? Authentic and vulnerable um, for your business li listeners, people who like to read. Brene Brown is a sniper. Of vulnerability, I, I don't know that if that was a word in my vocabulary before I started taking on her content. Anyways, shout out to Brene Brown. Yeah, she's Yo, good. She's you're the good. truth. And she made it like, like, uh, an open space for like men to be vulnerable. So that's where I like I connect with her as well. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm, luckily I think I sort of default towards that, but I didn't have the language. Hmm. And I really didn't have the full understanding of the power of vulnerability, and until I took that on, so that's been it been huge. Um, oh, yeah, check out her TED talks if anyone doesn't know who she is. Fire, it's very good. Fire TED talk. Yeah. And I think that's what we kind of what you just touched on. I should say is another reason that you and I got along very quickly. Besides the fact you obviously own a business, and you know this was I think I was I wasn't even twenty one yet when we met. I was still twenty, and so I hadn't even started my first business when you and I met. I already know Dan at that point, but it was my business. My mind was always business centric. I saw how authentic you were. You spoke to me daily about this is where the business is at. This is how because I always asked you. Every, I trained you what twice a week, I think, while we were getting started. Yep. I talked to you every single day that I saw you. I said, "Hey, how's pharmacy doing? You know, what's the PNL look like? How was your? Um, what was the? You had." high labor prices that you were trying to work through and all sorts of different things that you and I constantly talked about and you were always authentic with me. And I think that's part of the reason I was drawn to you. And truthfully, I think it's part of the reason that you are such a good leader in your company. Because mm. exactly like you said, you will stand on a soapbox and say, hey, you know, I fucked up, that's on me. And that is a piece of authenticity that I've always respected. Right. And I respect yeah. it in Dan, it's the reason Dan and I started this podcast because Dan's the same way. Mm. It's the reason I respect anyone that I keep in my life is because they're authentic and they're genuine. There's no two faces. And I think having two faces is a reason a lot of people fail in business. When you are willing to show, this is me, I'm gonna do this because this is how I do business. You know, yeah, there's times to change and tweak things here and there, but sticking to that core value. One thing that I was really raised on is to treat the CEO the same way I treat the janitor and vice versa. I'm gonna to talk to Dan the same way I talk to my girlfriend, the same way I talk to my girlfriend's father, the same way I talk to everybody. Because I am who I am. And if you don't like me, you know, kick rocks, respectfully. <laughs> I will find the people that fit the needs that I have and the information that I lack. And I think that you go about life relatively the same way. And I have a lot of respect for that in that sense. So That's kudos true. to you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. And it's that transparency, too. Like, being able to, like, if the ship is going down, you have to tell the team. Don't wait until it's, like, yeah. sink. But, hey, guys, and, by the way, you might want to jump off. Yeah, me. captain's the last one on the ship. Right, right. So. It's, 
Absolutely. I, I will put one caveat, and this is actually back to Brene Brown. You know, I think there is, there's a difference between vulnerability and just, um, you know, having no filter. You can't just say things exactly as they are at all times to everyone. It's right. just, there is a little bit of a, you a know, buffer zone. A buffer zone. But yeah, big picture, absolutely. Um, I really only have one other main question for you, and this is, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think I talk about that a good amount, that podcasts are a big piece of my life now. That's why we started one. And a question that is asked a lot of times in these different podcasts I listen to is, what are you afraid of? And I don't mean in the sense of like, oh, I'm afraid of spiders or I'm afraid of heights. And I don't even mean like, you know. It would be cockroaches if we had to <laughs> answer it that I, way. But dude, being from Illinois, I don't screw with cockroaches. If there's a cockroach no. in my house, someone else has to kill it. But I mean in the sense of like, you know, oh, my car didn't start. That's not what I mean. What keeps you up at night? You know, the business goes belly up. Or, you know, I'm genuinely afraid of dying that it keeps me up at night. What are you afraid of that hits you deep to your core? Yeah, I just think um, my team members, those people that go to bat for me, people who've taken risks on me, um, you know, when the business is in a tough situation, we have a cash flow problem, whatever it may be, we're having a tough time, you know, dealing with increases in prices, right? What, any, anything that puts a little bit of doubt or like, oh, we have to do something about this. Um, I don't know if it's just because of my age or what. I never am worried about me. I guess I always just feel, just selfishly, I always feel like I'll figure it out, right? Like I, I feel good about the skills that I have. If I have to go get a job, so be it. But I worry about the people who've invested in me, whether it's my parents who gave me a little bit of money when I, I needed to start this business or, 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 or to help the business or um, you know employees who made sacrifices and are super happy with what they're doing and they're super invested in our brand. Um, so I think about that, right? That, that scares me if letting down those people and then also our consumers, right? Um, you know, there've been some controversies in the plant-based food space. Um, I'll give you a quick example. Impossible foods, um, the brand that we use heavily for as the basis of like our, our like beef, you know, mock beef products. They, there was a, a thing that came out where there was some animal testing in the beginning with that product. And the purists, the, you know, the animal rights, vegan purists were outraged. They're like, I can't believe you fed this to rats. Like, why are we, we shouldn't be testing animals under any circumstances. And so right or wrong, I'm not sure I'm going to totally weigh in on this right now, but I remember at that moment, that was scary to me, right? Because I would hate for us to have made a decision to use a product that maybe like went against the brand of the company or, you know, let down our consumers in a way that they would feel cheated or, or betrayed. That was also something scary. And I remember we took a lot of care in trying to navigate that and like, oh my God, okay, let's read everything about this before we do anything. And then let's find out where to go from here. Okay. I mean, Dan, I'm going to ask you the same question because I don't think I don't think you and I have ever really touched on that. Mm-hmm. What are you afraid of? I mean, I know that Charles is here to, to, to talk to Charles, right. but I think it's important that you and I continue to weigh in as well. So, what yeah. are, what are you afraid of? Me, it's kind of like the same thing as what Charles just said. I'm, I'm never afraid of you know when it comes to me like figuring things out because at the end of the day, I know that I will at some point. It's um, safe like trying to start the nonprofit. And I think I told you this is me getting it started and then it goes belly up. And I have people in a position that we set out to help and they're, you know, say they have like that house now and we're like, yeah, we'll cover you for a year, but then we don't have enough funding to cover them for a year. So I'm like putting other people in a position that I can't really get them out of is like a fear of mine. Okay. If that makes any sense. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. And, and I'm not even sure what even you, anyone could even do about it, right? right. Like, yeah. yeah. So do you have hesitation on the non-for-profit in that sense? That's the only thing that's really slowing me down. And I was talking to like my therapist about it like not too long ago, because I'm like, when I first started like working on it, I was like just cranking it out, business plan was flowing. And then once I got that idea in my head, everything stopped. So I was like, can I really pull this off? And if I do pull it off, will it be successful in a sense? So will I be able to help people? I know I will, and I know like the intent will be there to help them, but 
you know, say like two years from now, and if, you know, somebody's in a position where we like, you know, got them into a, an apartment that they can't really afford and we don't have the funding. Right, and you guys in. can't do fulfillment. Yeah, so it was like, you kind of letting them down to where they're looking at you now, like, you put me in this position that I probably didn't want to be in, so what's up? So like, that's the, the one thing I gotta kind of have to navigate now and get over, um, but yeah. I think that's where that imposter syndrome kicks in, mm -hmm. where yeah. you've got all this confidence in your personal life, right. and it's the same person from your personal life that's going to spearhead this project that you're now almost feeling like an imposter that you're not going to be able to pull it off. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's being able to try to navigate taking the confidence from your personal life right. and then trying to build a bridge that you can get over to then your business life as mm -hmm. well. It's one thing that I kind of touched on earlier, I don't remember what episode it was, where I felt that imposter syndrome when I went and started First Year Performance, my first personal training company. Right. I was very, very nervous that I'm gonna have people that are gonna buy sessions and that I'm gonna get kicked out of the garage gym and that I owe $1,200 to people that bought training sessions for me that I can't train them. Mm -hmm. And to me it was like, okay, I stepped back, I took a breath, which is one thing that I've tried to be very good about is responding in that sense, not reacting. Because the reaction would be, screw it, I'm done, I'm gonna go get a job. The response is stop, take a breath. Okay, what do I do if this goes belly up? Well, three quarters of my clients live in apartments, I can train them in the apartment gym. And then one quarter, then I can pay back because I have enough left in the reserve. So it's trying to figure out how do I meander this, but taking the confidence from the personal life that you and I share, and I know Charles shares right. as well. Like-minded. Yeah, exactly, we're very like-minded people, but then how do I take that confidence and put it into my business? Mm -hmm. Because it's an entirely different step, it's an entirely different entity. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So is that your fear or is there something? Uh, no, so actually my fear is completely uh, abstain from, from business whatsoever. Yeah. I grew up, I had very good male role models. My grandpa is the hardest working man I've ever met in my entire life. He worked for the phone company until, I don't know, 65. He retired, got a great pension because that's how the America used to work. Oh, good old days. <laughs> and then built his dream lake house. Him and my grandma lived there for 15 years. Then they moved closer to my, my family because my dad took our took care of all his health care. He passed on my 20th birthday, happy birthday. A happy birthday to me, it was 20, I was trying to make sure. When he passed, I then looked to my dad as, you're my guy, you're my number one role model. Mm -hmm. I know the sacrifices my parents made. My dad worked his ass off because that's the, the example that my grandpa set for my dad. My dad worked his ass off for my brother and I. We went to every camp for training. My brother played basketball, I obviously played college football. Went to every camp we could go to, had every trainer we could possibly want. My parents never missed a game for high school football. My dad sat in the parking lot and watched practices. I had such good male role models yeah, in my life system. that I cannot let them down. Although my grandpa mm -hmm. will never physically see what I'm doing you know, on earth. I do believe, I'm openly Christian, I believe in heaven that he's watching us. Right. I got a text from my dad this morning when I sent him the graphics of that I made for Charles that we put out on our Instagram, if you guys are following, kind of blowing up that we have our first guest. I sent them to my dad. My dad listened to all three episodes. My dad shot the link over to a buddy of his that he knows, I don't even know how he met him, but he lives in the Tampa area. Dude was driving from Jacksonville to Orlando, listened to all three episodes. I got a text from my dad this morning at 8 a.m. Tampa time, which is 7 a.m. his time, saying, I am so unbelievably proud of what you're doing. Mm. And it's, I literally wrote in my journal today, I keep a, a journal that I don't bring here because it's just for my thoughts. Mm -hmm. But one of the comments that I made is, I have someone that's so proud of something that's so small. Mm -hmm. We have maybe 15, 20 listeners an episode, I would venture. I haven't looked at the numbers in a couple episodes. We're not monetized. It took us two episodes just to figure out freaking audio. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a disaster. It's, it's what it is. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's a work Wait, in progress. Wait, you guys have audio? <laughs> <laughs> Recording that. Charles is doing this just in handwritten. <laughs> but I can't let them down on the sacrifices that they've made mm -hmm. because they're both, my father and my grandfather, I firmly believe are looking at me saying, you've got this, run with it. And you're gonna do something so unbelievably great with your life. I always said growing up that my dream was to be on a full scholarship at Notre Dame and to go to the NFL and play quarterback. Obviously we all know how that went, but I always told my dad that with that first check, I was gonna buy him a boat. Mm. My life goal is to buy back my grandparents' lake house that they built up in Illinois. When I buy that, you can be damn sure the first thing I buy is my, buying my dad a speedboat that he wants. My, my worry, what scares me, is letting him down. Mm. 
that I do something and completely go away from my morals, which I would never do because I stand firmly in that in authenticity, then I pull away from my morals and I screw someone over or I am moving money in places I shouldn't be doing. Mm. I get scared that my dad's gonna look at me and say that you're not the person that I raised. Mm. That's what scares me, that my grandpa will look down and say, who the hell have you become? Or the business goes completely belly up, I wind up homeless and my grandpa and my dad are both up in heaven 30 years from now and they're like, what did you go wrong? I think that last one though, is a little, it's a little unfair to yourself. I don't think anyone's tripping if you, like failure, is something that happens. It happens. Yeah, exactly. You know Absolutely. What I mean? yeah. Yeah. And especially the most successful people have failed so many times. And who and you know, look, a lot of things are out of our control, guys. You don't get to pick who your parents are. You don't get to pick what country you were born in. You don't get to pick your genetic, your intelligence quotient. You wake up one day, someone else rolled the dice, and that's that. You know, these are the cards you have to mix metaphors. You could be unlucky enough to never make it. Now, unlikely, given how hard you're going to work. Always tell me. The failure for you or for any of us, I would think, is to stop trying or to give up stupidly on because you know or becoming you know start gambling habit or something like that. Um, but as long as you're true to yourself, man, I think you're going to be in line with. You're going to look back and feel good no matter what the outcome is. You know. So I have a question that kind of goes with that then. Um, it could be a round table question, but do you guys ever take a step back and kind of appreciate the things you accomplished so far in life? Start with Charles. Short answer, no. <laughs> I probably should. I guess I take, I take a little bit of pride in our brand. You know, I see how many Instagram followers we have. I see the five-star reviews. I, 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 do, take, I do take pride in those things. Um, but I guess I don't, I tend to not feel satisfied. Right, right or wrong, always, yeah. I never feel satisfied. We touched on that the last episode, that go, 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 go. And that was for me too, it was like, I accomplished one thing. I'm like, all right, so what's next? All right, hit that, that next thing. All right, so what's next? So it's like, sometimes I, my buddy told me this um, like a while back. He's like, you just got to sit back and like, just look at all the things you accomplished, you know, whether it be, you know, going through undergrad to grad to being a, the position I am now. Um, so I'm trying to do that more and kind of, you know, show more gratitude and appreciate the things that I have done. But I certainly really. think I've gotten better about it mm-hmm. since I started journaling about a month and a half, two months ago. Okay. Because I sit back and I reflect on a full day and mm-hmm. I'm like, holy shit, we're on episode four. Episode three went great. It's the best reviews we've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Episode four, cool, we have our first guest. It's a really good friend of ours. This could be awesome. So I think the journaling has definitely helped me be more appreciative. Okay. Especially being 22 years old, I look at the people around me. <laughs> That's what I say all the time. And I try to surround myself with people that are relatively like-minded, but I find myself hanging out with people that are much older, right. i.e. the two of you. Mm-hmm. I don't hang out with a lot of people my age unless you know we're going out like drinking or going to get dinner. That's the majority of time I spend with my quote-unquote friends. And I love my friends, don't get me wrong, but the majority of them don't have that business sense where they're trying to grow and create this passive income or whatever. Right. One of the things that I want to touch on is you mentioned being, you know, foot on the gas, go, 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 not being able to look at the task you just completed. Mm. There is a metaphor from Stephen Bartlett, and I don't know if you know who Stephen Bartlett is, but I know you and I have talked about it, Dan, but I don't know, if Charles, if you know who he is. He has this podcast that I love, Diary of a CEO, uh, British man, but there's a metaphor that he gives. When you're on a flight of stairs that's 100 steps, you don't go from step 74 to 75 and say, that's great, nice job. But when you sit atop step 75 and you look down, you're like, holy shit, I've come a long way. Mm. It's a comment that I had to make to my girlfriend the other day. My girlfriend had some pretty serious shoulder surgery, had a really bad dislocation her senior year pole vaulting in college. And she was really struggling the other day because, you know, my arm feels, my arms are feeling weak and I don't get the right form, I don't have the range of motion. And I finally stopped her in the parking lot at a crunch fitness that we work out at. And I said, I gave her the exact same metaphor. I said, you were at step 72. Mm. Step 73 was getting to do a tricep extension, was getting to use the cables to actually use weight for your arm. It's like five pounds or four and a half pounds, whatever it is on that cable, she's on the lowest setting. Mm. So she's like, it's so weak. My left arm is, can do it easily, but my right arm can hardly move that weight. And I said, you're at step 70, I think I said four, I don't remember whenever I gave her. You're at step 74, look at step zero. You were in a sling. You couldn't move your arm. You couldn't grasp a bag of Skittles if you wanted to. And I went, take two steps back. I went, you're at step 74, look down at step one where you started. You were in a sling for 
I don't know, five weeks, six weeks, whatever it was, you couldn't move. When I take that mentality and I apply it to business, okay, cool. When I first moved to Florida, the first job I got was working at an Under Armour outlet in Lutz, or Lutz, however you pronounce it, people get upset about that one. Now I'm here starting my second business, sitting down with two guys that are very like-minded. You know, Yeah, I'm probably about step 60. I still got a long ways to go, but when I look back, I'm like, holy shit, I'm not selling shorts anymore. You know, I've gotten much more appreciative, A, since I started listening to different podcasts, but I think B, the journaling has really, yeah, really helped. Yeah, it definitely helps. It definitely helps. Yeah. Did you have anything else that you really want to talk about, either one of you guys? Oh, I just, if Charles could leave, you know, that person that's looking to start their business, one little nugget or piece of advice for that listener. Yeah, I'll do my best here. Kind of put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> so some of this will be a little bit of a recap, but... Um, one, do as much planning as you can. Um, obviously, I think caring about the stuff that you're going down that road of is 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 key. Um, think about profitability going into it. If, if you're on the for-profit side, like really think about, okay, how are you going to achieve profit? Because I think a lot of us, and I tell you from my personal experience, it was more emotion first. I care about this. We'll worry about the math later. I wish I, I wish I would have been a little bit more strategic, especially when I see business startup businesses that make it a lot of times. They're making it not necessarily just because their art was better, although the art is a big piece of it. A lot of times it's because that quotient of material costs and those things, it just works, right? So it's like, it's not the best restaurants always that make it. It's the ones that have nice wide margins and you know, have a low ceiling for success, stuff like that. So think about that going forward, like what's going to be your competitive advantage and not just your emotion and how attached you are to making, let's say, the best food or the best sneakers. If you make the best, best sneakers and they're too expensive, you won't make it. So really think about the big picture. Um, and then the recap piece of think about character when you're building your team. Who's going to show up day in and day out? Who's a solid person? Who would you want to leave with your kids if you had to like have a babysitter because there might be someone who's a genius marketer, but if they're going to stab you in the back or they're going to think about their own self-interest, um, those people will end up taking more from you than uh, they're going to add. Um, and just get ready to work. Uh, in, in this country, we romanticize entrepreneurship. And we just talked about that. Um, I'll steal a quote from Scott Galloway, big business podcaster that I listen to. Um, the biggest wealth generating phenomenon in, in the world is the C-class corporation, C-corp. If you can navigate that, if you have the skills to work for, for Apple or Facebook, that's a good life that pays really, really well. Don't be ashamed of that. Do it. I'm an entrepreneur because I can't do the whole corporate ladder thing. It's not for me. Um, and so thank goodness I'm able to create a job for myself where I can use my skills and then supplement them with people who are smart and the things that I'm not really good at. Um, so just get ready. Like this entrepreneurship game, it's so rewarding, but it is a lot of work. And you're going to have to outwork everyone else. You're going to have to work for very little money in the beginning. And you're going to have to be putting in more hours than anyone else. So just get ready to... I guess let's put it this way. Seth, God I think it's Seth Goddard wrote a book called The Dip. Sorry if I'm butchering the name of the author, but basically hard times, are it's, it's not like if, it's when. So just make sure you don't start an endeavor that when the hard times come, you're going to give up on because the, the hard times are, are promised. So just get ready. <laughs> I think that that goes for relationships as well. You fight in relationships, and that's the way that we romanticize the world now. As we look at social media, we look at Instagram and Facebook. All we see is people smiling. You don't. No one posts yeah, a picture of getting, getting slapped in the face by their girlfriend or getting a drink thrown in the face when they make a comment. So I think that, that goes in every aspect of life, not yeah. just business or work or relationships. It's every aspect. Uh, when, when shit hits the fan, how do you react? Yeah, and, and, it's, and that's exactly. a test of character. Yep, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's not if it's when. Yeah, when. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Charles, give me a random number, one to three thousand. This is how we end every episode. <laughs> one to three. Just pick a number. <laughs> one thousand eight hundred eighty-seven. One thousand eight hundred and eighty. I actually kind of flipped pretty close to it. That was impressive. One thousand eight hundred eighty-seven. What one trait do you have that would or does make you a great boss? <laughs> that worked out really well. Mm. Uh, 
Either one of you guys, go ahead. I'll start. I would say one trait that I have would be like Charles touched on earlier is this integrity. I'm a, a man of my word. Um, when I'm saying I'm gonna do something, I'll do it. Um, so I feel like having that trait or quality, however you wanna look at it, definitely, you know, plays a part of being like a good boss, a good CEO. Because um, then it allows your employee or your team to kind of trust in you and um, kind of lean on you in, in tough times. So integrity. I hate to steal a page out of your book, but <laughs> that really is the best answer. I think that vulnerability piece, calling it how I see it. Do you have the answers? To be honest, guys, I actually don't know what we're going to do about this, but I can promise that I'll be up all night working on it. And as soon as I know, you guys will know. I think getting that buy-in from your team is invaluable to know that you're not just out here making stuff up to get through it, you know? I hate both of you guys. I have a different word. I think all three of us said the same thing with different words because mine's, <laughs> mine's authenticity. And I say it in mm-hmm. interviews. I tell it to people, the one thing that I'm really proud of how I was raised was my authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that will, has carried me a very long way and I hope that it continues to pending where the world goes here in the next few years. But that authenticity, I think, has helped me create successful businesses and will help me continue to expand on those. Oh, and dude, just to bring that home, that is 100% the reason why you have my referral for life. I'm not, we can't ever make any guarantees that you're the absolute best at whatever that thing is you're gonna be doing at that time. But at least I can guarantee to whoever that referral is to that if things go sideways, he's gonna do the right thing. And in almost every business, especially if you're doing, you know, B to C, that is everything. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, guys, that's about it. We do have, I just, we set up the TikTok today. It's just small world business. We've got our Instagram, small period world period business. You guys got the links. Reach out, give us updates, give us prompts that you want us to talk about, questions that you have, any feedback. Charles is tagged in the last couple of our posts. So, Feel free to reach out to him. Um, go to Pharmacy Vegan Kitchen. Food's yeah. awesome. Can we plug? Tell them Justin and Dan sent you from a Small World Business. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And if you guys need any help on the real estate side, I would love to be your guy. Buy, sell here in Tampa. It would be my pleasure, pleasure. to help As you guys well, out. Charles is a fantastic realtor. He really tried to help my girlfriend and I out. Uh, and we're still looking. So we're doing some good things. And Charles got a good head on his shoulders. So feel free to reach out and make a new friend, guys. Really appreciate it. It's been episode four of Small World Business. Four, yeah. We will uh, catch you guys next week. Thank you. Congrats, guys. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, yeah, appreciate it.